Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Don. Hello, hello. This is Don from the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. Wow, look at you. We got some big timer over here on One Stop Co-op Shop this week. Is that what I am now, a big timer? I don't know. Yeah, man. you know, uh, <laughs> I've known Don for a long time, so if we have a little bit of extra banter this week, that's probably why. Yeah, yeah, we go way, way, way back. I mean, like, way back, right? This is one of those things where, I mean, this is before you were doing the podcast or designing before I was doing a podcast with, uh, you know, the Secret Cabal guys. We're talking years and years and years ago, right? Yeah, so we were in the same gaming group. I don't remember. Were you pretty regular? Like, did you join us when we started doing D&D and all that stuff, or...? Not for the D&D stuff. I remember we played at our one of our friendly local game stores, which is unfortunately closed down now, but we had our Saturday night get-togethers. And I think you and our buddy Jerry showed up there quite often. Yep. And uh, we would play games there on Saturday night, well into the night. And I used to demo for Z-Man a lot of times, so I couldn't yeah. even get in on your guys' games. I remember that, and I remember you coming by and, and, and demoing some of the Z-Man games. For some reason, the uh, the experience that sticks in my head a bit is, I remember you, and I think it was Jerry, but I could be wrong... Anyway, you guys were playing Survive Escape from Atlantis when the when the newer edition came out, right? Probably because I hadn't played the original. Yeah, it was like, it's just when the, it's not the most recent version because they've done two or three versions since then, but this was like the one, it had been out of print for like 15 years or something like that. And you guys were playing, I thought, man, that's such a great looking game. That tells you how far back it goes anyway. We knew each other well <laughs> at that point. Yeah, well, I got to know Rob and the other guys at the store because uh, we told this story in our original How Mike and I Met episode, and this is how I met Mike, too. So I met Mike and Rob at the exact same time. I was starting, I don't even know how I like this conversation came up, but we started a Battleground Fantasy Warfare League. Yeah. Where we were just playing that. It, it, that was it. Like everybody picked a faction and we would just play. So that's how it all started for me and those guys. And it was at that local game store, which, like you said, unfortunately isn't around anymore. Yeah, but it was it's kind of cool. I mean, they were in this small, I mean, it's not a strip mall. It's an old mill that they sort of post-converted in the 80s into a into a mall, right? And so it's one of those things where there's a lot of antique stores and stuff like that. And there was this game store kind of nestled there. And there were a handful of restaurants. And we would just sit in that restaurant area on Saturday night. It's just, you know, it's probably 15, 20 people just gaming left and right. Everybody knew everybody. It was great. So it's unfortunate that's not around anymore. Yeah, and then every once in a while I'd disappear because there's a bar around the corner. That's right. We would all disappear occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so sometimes I wouldn't come back. <laughs> but talk about a good Saturday night, man. We would get together around 5, 30, 6 o'clock. We'd go grab dinner in the local bar slash pub place. Yep. You know, we'd come and play games till about midnight, a little after, and then we would head home. It was such a great experience. It was just so fun. Yeah, and I, I think that place kind of stopped being around when a lot of us couldn't make it anymore for one reason or another. And then, you know, Games and Stuff, which is now our local store, yeah. is just such a, a monster, right? I mean, it's just got everything you'd ever want that uh, it's kind of hard to go anywhere else. Yeah, it's a central community hub. That's what I like about it so much, right? And the other game store was a, it was a community hub as well. But, you know, they didn't have the new hotness stuff. I mean, they were definitely not as as tied into the hobby. right. They didn't have their finger on the pulse of what's coming, what's hot, you know, what's the next big thing, what, sh- what kind of obscure stuff should we stock? I mean, it really was a family game store. It was family run, and they yep. got into the business, not because it, it was a business venture they wanted to pursue, but because, you know, they had tons of fun playing at home, and they wanted to uh, expand that and let other people enjoy it. And I guess, you know, mission accomplished, even though the store is not open anymore, they did definitely do that, right? Well, we definitely got a lot of friendships and uh, almost family ourselves That's from right. that. Like a, yeah. a bunch of us still keep in touch, Yeah, even though the store is not around anymore. But before we get too far in, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. This week, we're going to thank Patrick Rohe from our Slack. He's one of our most active members. He is a co-op MVP. Joe Sokol. He's a co-op fan. And William Young, also a co-op fan. So Patrick, Joe, and William... Thank you so much, and thank you to all our Patreon supporters. So before we get into our top solo games, how did you get into gaming? What's your origin story? So I remember the very first game that I bought, and believe it or not, I bought it from games and stuff back when it was uh, games, comics, and stuff. This was when they, they had their first. They've had three locations now, if I'm if I remember correctly. The first location was, I'd say it was about the size of a closet, but it would be <laughs> insulting to closets everywhere, right? Nice. It, 
It was this small place. I mean, literally, I, I don't know what the square footage was, but it was the size of someone's living room, maybe, maybe, right? And uh, I remember some of my buddies at work said, hey, we're going to this game store. You want to go check this out? I, I was like, I haven't played games in years. And I, this was around the 2003-ish time frame, something like that. I could be a year or two off at my age. You know, it all blends together. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, no, I know. I think it's kids too, right? Once you have kids, your memory starts, stops going anywhere. Brain eaters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they said, we're going to this game store. You want to check it out? I said, sure. I'll, you know, I'll I'll tag along. So went to this place and I I was like, you know, if I'm here, I should buy a game. And uh, I was just kind of looking around. Nothing really piqued my interest too much. Now keep in mind, it was so small. They might've had 15 games on the shelf. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Right. But they had Betrayal at House on the Hill there. And this was a, a newer release game that I didn't know was a newer release. And I said, this looks pretty cool. So I ended up buying that and taking it home and playing it. And you know how it is, right? For a lot of us, yep. you play a game and you're like, wow, this is kind of cool. In particular, Betrayal at House on the Hill was cool because it was this co-opish kind of game that suddenly turned into usually a one versus many. And I thought that was intriguing given how many scenarios were in the box well i'm glad you got a good haunt your first time then because that could have turned the other way real quick i know i know but it was it was so fun theme wise that even if we had gotten a bad one and, and i've gotten plenty of bad ones in that game too we, we would have enjoyed it anyway yeah no i agree once you got that first game then it was like okay the junkie vein runs deep so let me go find another one right and this time yep. i remember telling my wife i picked up uh it was puerto rico and I told my wife, I said, yeah, I got a couple games. That's probably all I'll buy. <laughs> now I'm in my basement right now. And I'm looking at all these games surrounding me. And I'm thinking, man, this is a cry for help. You know? <laughs> anyway, that's that was a slow trickle that started my gaming experience, right? And gaming with you and Rob and the guys, I mean, that was that that was part of it too, right? That that community atmosphere that and that social interaction I just loved so much. Absolutely. No, it was definitely I mean, I think that's what hooks all of us at one point or another. It's that bond with the person across the table from you yeah. that you form, whether you've known them your whole life or whether you've just met them for the first time. You know, there are certainly bad experiences. We've all had those nights and nights where we're off or somebody else is off. But for the most part, I mean, we wouldn't keep going back to it if it wasn't, you know, 90%, 99% good experiences. Yeah. And it's funny, the Cabal guys and I, and you've been there plenty of times too, that we had this meetup at Beer Mongers, you know. Before the plague hit the world, right? We had this meetup at yeah. this place called Beermongers. Beermongers unfortunately closed down now, but there there were times I would drive an hour to get to Beermongers and end up not playing a game, just kind of hanging out while other people played games for I don't know four or five hours, and then driving an hour home. And it de- it didn't feel like a wasted night, right? Because it's like yep. you got to be around your friends, you got to drink a beer and hang out, eat some food, and just enjoy the enjoy being around the gaming atmosphere. So that's a drug that keeps pulling me back, and I know many people like me and you back. Yeah, absolutely. And I've done that drive a lot of times. Not nearly as many as you have up to beer mongers, but uh, plenty of times. So I just thought about something. We're not a curse on game stores and bars, are we? I don't know. That's a good question. All we've talked about is how we went to a place and now they're shut down. So. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> I think I think you and I have to stay apart. <laughs> well, I, I hope that's not the case because most of my gaming happens right here at home now. <laughs> so I kind of need this place to stay open for a while, you know? Absolutely. All right, man. Have you played anything fun lately? Yeah, I've played a couple things that are sort of piquing my interest. One thing I've played on Tabletop Simulator that I haven't gotten out, but I do have my physical copy, at least of the base game, is Marvel United. And this is sort of, this is the newest CMON, or I guess come on, whatever you want to call it, right? This is their their newest retail release, at least. And uh, the Kickstarter recently shipped for a variety of people. I guess they're still in the middle of that, if not on the tail end of getting all the base games out to everybody. We don't have all the expansion content yet. Some of it's available on Tabletop Simulator. Okay. Uh, in any case, Jamie, one of the other guys from the Cabal podcast and I, we tried a couple games on Tabletop Simulator. And it's sort of weird because this is a cool mini or not game that it definitely has that cool mini or not feel to it. And that you got these cool minis, you know, there's some extravagant artwork that looks pretty cool. It's more of a chibi look, which I know would kind of turn off Tony Topper, one of the other guys on the podcast. But for me, it doesn't bother <laughs> me too much. But, no, it doesn't bother me either. You know, you think of a lot of cool mini or not games, you think of them in terms of they're not deep games by any sense, at least most of them, but they're not family friendly. They're not the lightness games, right? You don't you don't get home right. and say, hey, family, my, yeah. you know, with your five year old, say we're going to play Zombicide, you know, or we're going to play Blood Rage. But this game is very family friendly. I would almost say, I'm going on a limb and say it's simplistic, right? It's, I you know, agree with you. Maybe the expansions will, will add some complexity and depth. But yeah, I was surprised how quickly it played and how simple of a game it was. That's not to say it's a bad game. I enjoyed it. 
but I didn't I didn't feel like there was a ton of depth there from the, the couple of small games that I played. And I agree with you. I, I've played it quite a bit. Now, did you go in on the Kickstarter? I did. Yeah, I went all in on the Kickstarter. But again, all I've got is the base game right now. Yeah, so I kind of did the same thing. I went all in on the Kickstarter, but there was actually a kind of bootleg copy that came out that people had patched together from stuff that had come out, like screenshots, things like that, on Tabletop Simulator. So I tried that during the Kickstarter. And, you know, it was getting up there, 200 bucks or something for yeah. for everything. I mean, it was just a lot of stuff. And there was, of course, CMON, so you could have as many add-ons as you wanted. And after I played it, I did back out at that point because I was like, I, I felt the same way. I was like, the kids would probably like this, but I can't justify spending $200 for the weight of game it is. Yeah. And I, I will say this, if it didn't have the Marvel theme to it, I do think this game would come and go and there wouldn't be many people that would latch onto it, right? The simple fact that it has that Marvel IP, that does add something. I'm a, I'm a big Marvel fan. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And so for me, I, I'm not disappointed that I backed the Kickstarter, but still, it's not like, I mean, I know I'm not going to just, this isn't going to be the game I play for the next six months, right? Sure. It's kind of cool to have because I'm a Marvel fan, but it's not on par with many of those other cool mini or not releases that you think of that have come out of the, you know, the Kickstarter machine. So I did end up going to Target and buying the base game. It's 30 bucks there. And yeah. I'm I'm happy to have that. Certainly, I would like more villains. That's the one thing. I think if a Guardians of the Galaxy pack ends up coming out mm-hmm. as an expansion that you could buy separately, I know it was in the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. then I will probably end up buying that. You know, I, I like the idea that you can pick and choose it. And look, for 30 bucks, I think it's a great value. I, I don't know that I need everything, though. Yeah, and that's a great point, right? I think it is a $30 game. If it was priced at the $50 level or, you know, forbid the $60 level, it would be like, I don't know, man, there is just not enough here to justify that price point. But at $30, it does feel like a $30 game. Now, I've got to be careful, though. We talk about things that are available in mass market stores, though, big box stores. I always think in terms of given all the stuff that Prospero Hall has out in Target now and the depth of those games and how fun they are, it's like, the value I'm expecting, even for $30, $35, that's a little bit different now. But this one's, it's, I think you get a, a decent game for 30 bucks as long as you know what you're getting into. And you can play this thing in like 30 minutes. It's quick. Yep. It's a really quick game. And it plays like a 30-minute game. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, I think it's more than $30 in mini value for me. I know my son and I are planning on painting them up. So I think that'll be a good bonding experience. I think we'll probably get more out of that than we will out of playing the game. I agree with you. For 30 bucks, I think it's probably just about right. Yeah. Not disappointed, but it's still not floating my boat either, right? It's not the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I have been playing an IP-based game too, which is Star Wars X-Wing. Oh, nice. I never really got into the X-Wing stuff, man. But it's crazy popular. Yeah. It's not a bad time to consider getting into it because it's second edition now. And so they've redone everything. Now, the bad part is that we had bought just enough ships where it was worth buying the upgrade kit. And this wasn't me. You know, Jerry buys all this stuff. So I borrowed it from him and I ended up buying the upgrade kits, but it's like 50 bucks a pop for the upgrade kits. I mean, it was almost worthwhile just rebuying the ship. So you had the new ones at that point. Yeah, there's been other things released like that too. That, yeah, it's, it's always that risk reward. It's like, man, for like 10 more bucks, I could buy the whole base set again, you know, and have the complete upgrade. So I could see that. I have to recheck this out. I mean, I owned the original set, right? When it first came out. I don't know. What's it been? Five, seven years? Whatever, how long it's been? More than it's been that, a yeah, while. It feels yeah. like it anyway. And um, it was fun, but the flying miniatures thing just never, for some reason, it never really caught on with me. You know, I, I, we had a good time playing it. It was fine, but I definitely didn't foresee it becoming this huge juggernaut it's become for fantasy flight games. Well, I agree. I mean, it came from Wings of War, right? And yeah. And that was yeah. just cards in a box. And so that was, uh, I mean, and that had a lot more value in it as far as number of planes and stuff you get here. I mean, you're getting three ships in the starter box for 40 bucks, which isn't bad. But I mean, when you consider Wings of War, you were getting many, many planes right. uh, for that same value. Yeah, it is funny. I remember way back, I did play Wings of War well before X-Wing came out and I enjoyed it. But again, it was nothing that it wasn't enough fun enough for me. I'm not saying it's not good. It wasn't fun enough for me, right, to uh, kind of go in. Because I knew with those kind of games, you go in and you start buying stuff. Man, you could drop a ton of cash, <laughs> you know, just, just buying everything at some point. Yeah. Well, the cheap way to do it, and this is another one that I pulled out at the same time, is Gaslands. Oh, yeah. Jamie talks about that all the time. 
for 20, 25 bucks, you just buy the book, you photocopy all the templates and you know, that's all you need beside matchbox cars. Right. And you know, you can do terrain if you want, but you can put books, whatever you want down that, that stuff doesn't bother me. I know for Jamie, that would be heresy, but right. for me, uh, <laughs> that doesn't got bother some me. Rules. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, the nice part is I'd always come with a painted army because matchbox cars come painted. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that those guys are like, gluing little machine guns onto the matchbox cars and stuff like that. It's quite, kind of cool, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's something, I mean, if you wanted something similar at a lower price point, I definitely recommend that one. I've had some fun with that too. I actually think X-Wing might even be a little bit lighter because you don't have like skidding rules and sliding rules right. and stuff like that. There's definitely some complexity that comes in as you add upgrades to the ships. But I think for a beginner experience, I think if I had to pick the two, I would, I mean, it depends what's important to you, right? If you want price and variety, just go right to Gaslands. If you want rule simplicity and the cool X-Wing and, you know, Star Wars universe, then you can go X-Wing. And I think you won't go wrong either way. I think people will be happy if they decide to go either way based on what theme appeals to them more. Right. Well, another thing I've been playing, and this has been a surprising hit for me. I didn't think I would necessarily like it when I started playing it. And we talked about it on our podcast a little bit, but I'll repeat a little bit of it here. That's a game called Smartphone Inc. that I believe had an earlier edition and they, they recently kickstarted a high production value edition of it. And I picked that up on Kickstarter that that delivered, I don't know, a month or so ago. And I've played a, a couple of games on tabletop simulator. There's a really good implementation there. And I've actually played the solo game against Steve against Steve. That's right. Yeah. My buddy, <laughs> our buddy, Steve. <laughs> and uh, I've been very surprised at how developed down this game is, right? It's one of those things where I think the tendency for these kind of Euro economic games is to add some complexity in places where you go, yeah, you could you could snip a little bit here and trim a little bit here. Yep. This one is down to the bare minimum, but it doesn't lose any depth. And this reminds me of like your classic games of like Puerto Rico, where it's very simple what you do, but there's a lot of depth associated with it, a lot of good decision space that you can explore there. Have you played this one? I did. I actually went to games and stuff and I bought it there because people were comparing it to one of my favorite games of all time, Power Grid. Oh, yeah. And I will say I was looking for more complexity and depth from it. And so maybe it was just a first. Now I'll be honest. The only person I played it with is my son who's 12 and you know, that can go either way. Um, and of course again, Steve as well. And I also don't have the two or three player map. So I was trying Mm -hmm. to decide, do I go in and go back and buy that so I can play at lower player counts because playing on the big board with only two people didn't feel quite right. It seemed like there was just too much space there. So maybe I would get a better feeling playing on a smaller board. And I think playing with adult gamers would make it a little bit better for me too. Yeah, I would suggest you revisit that one a little bit because if if you go in expecting a power grid, you're not going to get power grid in terms of bookkeeping type mechanisms, right? In power grid, you're counting down to the dollar. Right. You're you're thinking, okay, I got to buy this and fuel this. I need to make these two connections. This game definitely doesn't have that level of, you know, minutia or or sort of micromanagement. The thing that attracted me to this game was, is that you did get a lot of that timing aspect, which is, ooh, next round, I want to be ahead of, I want to go ahead of this person. And so I need to price my phones low, which means I need to lay out my pads in a certain way. There's a visual aspect to it as well. And that I found really interesting because there's all these trade-offs that you're making, right? If you price your phones really low, then you get to go first and you get to sell first. So you can just about sell everything and you get points for that, right? Money in the games, points. But if you really want to go to niche markets and you want to price your phones high, then it could be that all those customers you thought you had lined up are already taken by someone else because you're going so late in the player turn order. And those types of trade-offs I really love in games. And this one, I read the rules one time and it's like, boom, I'm ready to hit the ground. Oh, yeah. No. And it's a game that I could play right now without having looked at the rules for two, three weeks and playing probably 10 games between now and then. Yep. Yep. And that, there's something convenient about that, I will say. I won't say oh, great. But I'll say convenient about that because, you know, there's always a go to game that you can take out, put on the table and you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But you don't have to slog through the rules every time. There are a lot of games you got to read the rules again and again and again every time you play it, right? Oh, absolutely. I got to say, I'm now regretting inviting you on the podcast this week because I have to now take Smartphone Inc. off my trade pile <laughs> and go out and buy an expansion just to see how – because I, I do think that two and three player, the tighter board. Yeah. Now, how many players did you play with? Well, I've played with uh, three players and I've played with four players 
We did not play on the two and three player map. We played on the larger map and used the, I can't remember what the, these little retailer chits, I think they're called. Yep. And I, I will say this, having played the bigger board, I'm looking forward to playing the smaller board because I get the feeling it will make that game tighter, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think playing again with, you know, Mike and Jerry or maybe you, I think the nice part is that there I, those decisions will come into play and racing to technologies, things like that. I think we'll come into play more than obviously playing against Steve or playing, you know, against the kid, my kid. Yeah, I was let down a little bit with the the Steve, the AI that I played against. You got a good feel for the game, but it wasn't very challenging. It didn't feel like it wasn't as dynamic as having people around the board. Yeah, no, I well, because it, it feels like it's a game about timing mm-hmm. and you kind of know what's coming up with Steve. Yeah. Right. You know what price he's selling his phones for. You know what exactly where he's expanding to, what technologies they're expanding to. And so it loses a lot of that. And I feel like that's a lot of what the game is. Yeah. A lot of value in that particular aspect of the game. I agree with you. Cool. Do you have anything else on your list you were looking forward to talking about? Or I'll throw out one more quick one. And this is something called Armada Stragoy. Have you ever heard of this game? I have not even heard of that. So you should look up Armada Stragoy on YouTube. And what you'll find is a video by a power metal band called Power Wolf. And this is a game that's based around the mythology they built into their songs. Now, I didn't I didn't know about this Power Wolf band before I played this game. This is a co-op game where you're all playing, I guess the, the only way to put it would be like these religious werewolves that are going to attack an army of the undead led by these vampire type creatures. And so there's this showdown that happens within this mausoleum type place or whatever. All right. So I love the underworld movies. I love that theme completely. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, and the underworld movies were no classic of cinematography, but I just love, I I love the vampire where against werewolf. I love the cool fight scenes. Like that's, that's all about me. So I, I love those, that theme specifically. And I did hear you guys talking about it on the cabal. Gosh, it's probably been a month or two ago now. Yeah. And I will say the theme, it's got the theme. We'll leave it at that, right? The gameplay is, it's all right. It's nothing crazy, but it's cool. You know, it's one of those things where if, you, if you're if you looking for a game where you have werewolves attacking vampires, this might be the one. I know I'm with you. I like the underworld movies as well in that mythology. And there was nothing that sort of fit that bill before this game came along. I'm assuming it's not on Tabletop Simulator. I haven't looked for it on Tabletop Simulator. I also assume it is not. But hey, you never know, man. This will be one of our inaugural games when we get back to real life gaming again, whenever that ends up being. There you go. And that's about it for me. I mean, nothing nothing beyond that, you know, that we aren't going to talk about in the course of the podcast. Anyway, I made a, made a little list here of other things we'll cover throughout the podcast. So. Cool. Well, let's get into our uh, main topic today, which is going to be our top five solo games. Now, Don, are you a solo gamer? I am not usually a solo gamer. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier. A lot of the fun I get from games is by having other people around the table. So here with the, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been difficult. I figured out how to use Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia. I've gotten my fix a little bit through that and also played some stuff at home with the family. And I've augmented that with some solo games. But by and large, I am not a solo gamer. That's not how I prefer to play them. But I get some enjoyment out of it. Good, because me neither. So that way, yeah. uh, <laughs> they're, they're getting a different perspective. Because as I was talking to you a little bit about earlier, you know, a lot of the guys on this podcast are solo gamers. And I imagine a lot of co-op gamers are solo gamers as well, simply because pretty much any co-op game you can get, I mean, outside of like Hanabi, you can play solo. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of solo gamers in our community. Not only I think, I know there are a lot of solo gamers in our community. So I think this will be interesting to hear the perspective of non, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a solo gamer either. Um, Even though I've certainly played a lot of games solo, it's, I don't get the same joy out of it that I do out of playing with other people. Yeah, I do like when they go to the trouble of making a good solo game for what would normally be a competitive game. That that seems to be a, a, a moving trend here, right? Way back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you just didn't find too many solo-oriented games that you could even play solo outside of like the GMT universe or something like that, or Victory Point games. And now it seems like every game game that comes out, there's a solo mode. And so it's cool. And I think they're catering to, as you stated, you know, a a particular section of gamers that are getting larger and larger. And that's the, you know, the ones that that seek out that solo experience. So I think it's really cool, regardless of whether that's my main mode or not. I'm happy that they're catering to those who do gravitate toward those solo gaming experiences. Yeah, to be honest, that's actually why I pulled out X-Wing and why I went all in on this stuff is there's supposed to be a really good solo campaign and actually it plays co-op as well. So I don't know if we're ever going to review it because I have started playing it, 
but it's there, there's some rules to it. Uh, and fantasy flight just released solo rules for that as well as another game. I'll probably talk about later, even though it's not on my list, civilization, a new dawn. So they put solo rules out for both of those games, even though originally clearly neither of them were meant to be solo. Right. All right, cool. Well, I'll kick it off with my number five and I kind of put these all into categories. It didn't really happen that way on purpose. But each of these is kind of in their own category. And for my number five, it's a small box game. And no, it's not any of the tiny epics. It's Oniram. Oh, okay. The thing I like about it is it's portable. You can take it with you wherever you go. It's quick to play. You know, if I got 10 minutes somewhere, I could pull it out and play it. I like a lot of the other ones in the series as well. Uh, Arian and Natillion specifically. Now, I haven't played the other ones, but it probably means I should. You know, they're they're all games where you can take them out quickly, play them quickly, and they're nice and portable and easy to take with you. So when I looked at it, yeah, it doesn't have the depth of some of the other games on my list. But when you look at number of times played, I've certainly played these a lot more than a lot of some of the other games on my list, including my number one, because they're so easy to get to the table. Yeah, the artwork in this one's cool. I haven't played this, but I'm looking at the images on Board Game Geek right now, and I'm kind of drawn to this. I like this 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 artwork. Yeah, it's funky. There's a whole series of them, too. I believe there's still a free app available for your phone. That's how I originally got addicted to it. Now, the one thing about these, the whole series of games is they have a bunch of mini expansions, and each one doesn't necessarily make the game easier or harder. It just adds some complexity. So you start out with the base game of Oniram, which is actually a pretty straightforward game. And then as you play it more, you can add in one or multiple of these expansions or inspansions because they all come in the box you know, for a fairly cheap price point too. And you get a lot of value out of it, a lot of different gameplay. So I would at least suggest downloading the app because that's what got me into it. And I'm, it's surprising how much gameplay is in there for a simple little card game. Yeah, and I like the fact that you started out with a game that's it's not too expansive, right? It's a small thing you can play really quickly. I know that some of the games I revisited and thinking about my list were also in that category as well. And I think they deserve consideration because, you know, you don't always have time to play a two-hour-long solo game, right? Sometimes you want to sit down and bang something out in 15, 20 minutes. Absolutely. All right, so how about you, Don? What's your number five? So my number five is the exact opposite of a short experience, by the way. And I have to caveat my list a bit by saying these are my... Top five solo games now, right? You take a snapshot in time, this is it. Oh, absolutely. So I've played a lot of other solo games that probably would rank higher than this. But right now, this is one I'm sort of fascinated with. This is not, by and large, a solo game. This is very much a multiplayer game. But it does have a solo mode that you can play, and I'm enjoying it uh, quite a bit. And that is BIOS Origins 2nd Edition. This is actually a Phil Eklund game. I don't know oh, if no. you... Have you played Phil Eklund games? I might have. I'm trying to remember. We've played a bunch of those like Leaving Earth games, and I don't remember if one of them was his or not. I know we played a lot of those like, you know, trying to get a rocket off into space. Yeah, he has High Frontier. That's the one that I can never get through the rules of. You know, we often say things are not rocket science, but that's what he is. He's literally a rocket scientist, and he makes these games, and they are quite hard to get into. The, the, The cost of entry is really high. In any case, BIOS Origins 2nd Edition, there was an early edition that was one of my favorite games as well. And it's basically a Civ game. But it's this expansive Civ game that goes all the way back to way back in the past where you're actually you start this game by manipulating the brain of your species and it goes to present day. So you start moving things around on a brain map. That's crazy. It is crazy. You know, you have these these pawns that you use on this little brain map. You want to move from being very emotionally driven to eventually incorporating more vocabulary than free will. And then once you have free will, it's it's crazy, but it plays relatively quickly. I found this new edition. I'm really falling in love with. So, you know, and and to learn it, I said, let me try the solo game. And it wasn't that it was very challenging or competitive or anything like that, but you really got to experience this whole story of leading a species through its development from being a Neanderthal to going into space. And it's really cool. The production values on this one are great. Of all the games I have on my list, this is sort of the Don is crazy game, right? Because it doesn't really fall in that solo category. It's just what I'm playing solo now that I'm really enjoying. You know, I you made me interested because I love Civ games. And, and we'll get to a Civ game on my list later on. But Phil Eklund scared me. Yeah. It really does. Because, you know, it's funny because I was in school to be a aerospace engineer. And after two years, I decided that was not the path that was right for me. So <laughs> I went the exact opposite way and went into sales. So uh, <laughs> when they say the you're no rocket scientist, they're referring to me <laughs> specifically. 
Well, this one, here's what, this is how quirky his games can be. The first thing you want to do in this game is to incorporate menopause into your society. Huh. And you may say, what in the world? I, I don't think there's any other game where I've seen, you know, you want to have menopause be a part of it. But it's because, you know, as the, the females of your species, if they are not getting pregnant later in life, well, pregnancy was a very dangerous thing, right? Way back in the day. Right. Uh, and, and so what would happen is they would get pregnant and die. And it, once menopause is part of the society, the grandmothers are live longer and they keep the kids at home while the mother goes out to hunt and gather or whatever. And so the ideas and foundational pieces of your civilization can be passed down from generation to generation at that point. So this is how deeply he thinks about a game. It's crazy. You know, it's that not for the kind of heart, but I'm really enjoying it. That's awesome. No, it sounds very detailed. It's the kind of game that I would love for Mike to learn and come over and teach me, like, yeah. and kind of walk me through it as if I am a infant. And, <laughs> and I think I would enjoy it in that situation. All right. So my number four is something that I know you like as well. It's a fairly new game and it's my only dungeon crawl on the list and it's Cthulhu Death May Die. Oh, nice. Ah, that game is so good. You know, I took all my Zombicides, which I didn't really have many because I wasn't a huge fan of the Zombicide series and basically traded them away or sold them at this point because I think this does that weight of games so much better. And I know there's, you know, a lot of pushback against like going crazier and then like making you more powerful doing that. I know, yeah. you know, there's that's a faux pas, but the mechanism itself, the way it works out is really cool where you're like leveling up as you're getting closer and closer to death. I don't care if you call it insanity or whatever you want to call it. This is obviously not insanity in, you know, real world terms here anyway, because you wouldn't be doing, you know, these magical things, uh, you know, as you became more insane, quote unquote, it's more of a, a magic leveling up system. The more damage yeah. you get, the more powerful you get. And it feels really good because you're ramping up as the game goes along and it builds up to this crescendo at the end of the game that a lot of games miss the mark on that. And Cthulhu Death May Die does such a good job. Now, did you go all in for this one? Did you kickstart this one? I didn't. I just bought it. Oh, man. And then I got two of the great old ones. I don't even have season two yet. I probably will end up getting it. But I bought two separate great old ones. But no, I don't have the big the big uh, miniature or any of that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't get that. This is the one where the big miniature seemed like it seemed like a bridge too far. It's like, okay, you got a problem if you buy, if you if you bought that. Well, what are you uh, going to do with it? I mean, besides scare yeah, your children, exactly, That's the only thing man. I, <laughs> I mean, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, look over, and see, think, did that thing just move? Right, <laughs> freak me out. <laughs> yeah, no, I th I think that would be instant divorce in my house. Linda, be like, <laughs> no, we're not keeping that thing in the house. And I'm with you. We want to be sensitive about you know mental health issues, of course, right? But as far as how they're handling this game, I think they're handled relatively well, and it definitely fits the theme, right? The historical kind of Lovecraftian theme. Yeah, and I, I like the fact there's all these different scenarios and great old ones and the heroes that you have. There's so much variety in this game. It's really good. I agree. Yeah, so I had some other ones on my list of dungeon crawls that almost made it. Journeys in Middle-Earth. Oh, yeah. Descent, I like with the app. Imperial Assault, of course. Assault on Doomrock is a game not many people talk about anymore, but that game's really good. I think they just went a step too far with their expansion, where they mm -hmm. added in terrain and stuff, and it just made it more complicated than it needed to be. But I've always liked that one, too. And then, of course, the big, the big daddy of them all, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. That, those were all for consideration on my list. Oh, and I forgot one of my favorite ones, Deep Madness as well. I don't know. Have you played that one, Don? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kickstarted Deep Madness. Okay. So I don't play Deep Madness like everybody else, and I think that's why it's at the top of my list. I take mm -hmm. off, you know, those tiny little chits that like give you minus one movement, or if you end here, you take a wound or whatever yeah. else. I take those off. First of all, it makes the game way less fiddly. And second of all, it makes the difficulty right where I want it to be. It's not oh, crazy, insane hard. And it's like the easiest fix to make in the world for me. And it made that game become something that was way too hard and fiddly to something that is very enjoyable every time I play it. And the only reason it's not on this list, in all honesty, is, you know, you have to control, I think, six different characters if you're playing it solo. And I, I prefer to keep my character count low if I'm playing solo. Yeah, I'm with you there. I have to go back and revisit this because I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I did think it was a little fiddly when I played it. I have to I have to revisit it. Yeah, just take off those little tiny chits that you put on every single space. Yeah. That like do, do one negative thing to you when you end up there. Take those off and it, it makes it the right complexity. Excellent. I'll, I'll take another look at it. Okay, so my number four is a little bit different 
I'm hoping you've played this game because if you haven't, I think you need to. This is uh, this is a game called Black Orchestra. Yes, I have played that one. Yeah, and this is a game that sort of revisits World War II and in particular the potential assassination of Hitler. So all the players in the in this game are playing members of the German government there that are trying to take out Hitler and sort of avert you know the terrible things that are happening in World War II. I think if you had to categorize this game, it would be something like a pandemic. Now, don't get me wrong. The topic of the game is much different, of course, right? And much darker, right? Black Orchestra. It's a fitting name for it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's more complex than pandemic. But to be honest, I mean, spoiler alert, pandemic actually didn't make my list because I think it, for me, at least, it's a little too simple, right? I feel like I don't discover much when I revisit it every time. It's a great game, don't get me wrong, and deserves all the accolades and the, the board game geek ranking it has. But for me, it's just not the one. And this one does have that depth. It does have that story that plays out. And it's one of those things where you're discovering all these different items in different locations that you're going to. And you're like, okay, yeah, there are explosives here and there's poison here and there's something else here. And you, you need to combine those things for certain attempts on Hitler's life. And the cool thing is that there's actually an ebb and flow that goes to this game. It's not just about the mechanics on the board, but it's about these decks of event cards that are coming out. And it basically mirrors what was happening in World War II when it came to the Nazis at the time, right? So the military support and the paranoia of the Hitler's forces sort of goes up and down, historically speaking, like it did back in World War II. And that's just that combination of great mechanics and this great story really drew me into this game. When I revisited this, you know, prior to recording this, I was surprised because I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot, but it's probably not going to make my top five. And dang if it didn't. Nice. It's a really good game. Yeah, I certainly enjoyed the game. It wasn't here for me, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I enjoyed it as well. What drove me away was actually the dice swinginess in it. Yeah. Yep. I can see that. I was going to say, if there's a critique, that's, that's it. Yeah. So for me, that was the only thing that bothered me. But what you're doing before that is really fun and cool. So I enjoy playing it. But the dice swinginess, especially when you do all the things right, and then you, you spend like 50 cards, and then you just fail. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. You, you know, it should be hard to assassinate Hitler, right? It's not the easiest thing in the world. But at the same time, you know, you do all this stuff. Now I lose all that stuff because that was my attempt. And it thematically, it makes perfect sense. Hey, look, you're doing all this stuff to take them out and you fail. Look, you failed. You lost all the stuff that you were you were doing along the way. But gameplay wise, uh, that's the only thing that, that kept it off of my top five list. Yeah. And I think the theme is what allows me to not be bothered by that swinginess. I, the swinginess normally would bother me. But in terms of the theme here, it's like you take a shot and not only do you have to plan well, you do have to get lucky. Right. Yep. And, and I think that's incorporated into the game very, very well. And it pushes you to also have backup plans as well, because very frequently in this game, the first attempt does not succeed. So you've got to have a backup plan or multiple backup plans in many cases. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that keeps other people engaged as well, even if they're not the one that's taking the shot. It's like, OK, we got shot two and three over here in case this one doesn't go according to plan. And yeah. you kind of have to plan out like which one should we do first, which is most likely to succeed. And that way we can you know, be ready for our backup plan. So, no, I mean, all those things are really neat about the game and, you know, deserving of your top five. I'm glad you put it there. Oh, yeah. All right. So my number three. It's a game no one in the co-op community has ever heard of before, except they all have, which is Spirit Island. Oh, good choice. Such a great game. And so I put this in my Euro game category, uh, even though, you know, it could be categorized as a lot of things, but there's definitely a lot of Euro mechanics. There's definitely a lot of puzzliness to it. I mean, if you've listened to our show for any amount of time, you've heard us gush about this game many times. It was actually one of our initial reviews that we did on the podcast. So the great part about this, though, is you really only have to play one spirit. You don't have to play multi-handed. One spirit feels very satisfying. And in fact, you can really change the difficulty based on the spirit you take, based on the enemies you're going against. So you really can, you know, change up that complexity and that difficulty. There's a lot of ways to go with it. And not only does it play great solo, it's obviously great multiplayer as well. So just a great game overall, Spirit Island. Yeah, and there's so much content in that box, right? Oh, so yeah. many even without the expansions. If you add the expansion, there's there's even more, of course. But like you said, I love the fact that you can grab one of these spirits and one board and just kind of go, right? And rely on what the advantages of that spirit is and try to overcome the disadvantages. Because that's another thing I like. Each spirit is very good at a few things, not very good at all at other things. And so you have to play around that. 
And I think this is something that's actually showing up as a theme on my list now that I'm looking and some of the ones we haven't gotten to. Actually, all the rest of my list is this way too. Really, Oniram's the only one that breaks it, which is I like exploring changing characters. So Spirit Island, every character you play plays completely differently. Cthulhu Death May Die, same thing. You're Every time you play the game, even if you're playing against the same enemy on the same stage, really, you're what changes and your tactics have to change based on that. You know, my next two games are the same thing. So I really think I like games where I can explore your character, take your character out of it and really change up your gameplay based on the strengths and weaknesses of your particular character. So that seems to be a theme here. I like that because that's something that like a pandemic doesn't necessarily have that much, right? Sure. But these kind of games do. And I agree with you. That That's part of the thing that, that draws me to these types of things as well. I think this is an excellent choice, by the way. I considered putting this on my list, but it did not make my list. Well, I'm glad. That way we don't overlap too much. I think it's such a great co-op game. That outshines the solo aspect so much to me that yeah. you know, even though it's a decent solo game, it's just it really playing a co-op is the way to go with multiple players around the table because there's something special about this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, the things you can do to help each other are great. And it's the, the interesting part is it starts very simplistic where you're all on your own board and then you spread out and the cooperation in the game increases as the game goes along, as you need to help each other because the enemy's ramping up and you need that help from other people, you know, to survive it. And it's complex enough. You don't have to worry about an alpha gamer type aspect. Oh, here. definitely not. Well, and it's simultaneous enough that you don't have to worry about alpha gamer also because most of the decisions you're making in the game are simultaneous you can talk about it during that phase but there's a lot of stuff and there's just so much complexity because even if i tell you i have a card that can blow up three guys you don't know what symbols are on it so you don't know how it can help trigger my other cards on my board so there's a lot of things that prohibit people from alpha gaming it so i I think they did a great job with the design because of that yeah i definitely agree and another couple that were on this list of like Euro games are Underwater Cities. That one actually plays really well solo. And Castles of Burgundy, I was surprised. Really? The solo game is very different from the co-op game. And I was happy with that one too. I've got to check this out because I'm a big Stefan Feld fan. And I love Castles of Burgundy. It may be my favorite game of his. Trajan's up there, but Castles of Burgundy's also. I have to check that out. I've never done it solo. Yeah, it is my favorite game of his. And if you don't want to play it yourself, there's actually a playthrough Colin did on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel. And so you can see some of the differences. But basically, instead of scoring points, the way it works here is you're working your way toward getting extraction. So you do score points, but points aren't how you win. You actually need to fill your whole board to win the game or fill a certain portion of your board to win. And as you're getting points, you work your way toward getting extra actions, which lets you place more pieces on the board or collect more pieces. So it's really neat how it changes the game up. And it is my favorite Feld as well. So I really liked how it played. It, not enough to, to bump out Spirit Island or any of these other ones, but it was really interesting solo. Yeah, I was surprised when I was going through my list and, you know, there were so many that I thought were great solo games. It just didn't make the cut, but it it did open my eyes to how many games are out there that play very well solo. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. So what's your number three? So my number three, I'm hoping you've heard of this one. I think you have. This is a game that came out a couple years ago called Awkward Guests. And this is a game that's a, it's a deduction game. One of the types of games I like quite a bit is deduction and that's hidden role, hidden movement. This one is basically, if you had to describe it in a simple way that a gaming layman would understand, you would say it's sort of Clue++. Plus plus. It's the next version of Clue. And this is driven by cards. One of the great things about this is you don't have to necessarily rely on the information that you're given directly by others. So it takes away that aspect of somebody telling you something that's incorrect and then messing up that game, right? So this is all the information comes to you on these cards that are being passed around to all the players. And so the idea is that this rich older guy has been killed and all these guests are in the house and you have to figure out who did the murder, why did they do it, what was their motivation, and how did they do it, i.e. what weapon did they use. The cool thing about this game is, unlike a lot of deduction games that have this sort of mystery, murder, whodunit thing, this one comes with a visual aspect as well. Everyone has a sheet of paper in front of them that's sort of pre-printed and it's a, it's a map of the house. It's also the different type of weapons and you have the suspects up at the top. They have built a system where there are, it's like 500 cards and an app will tell you which cards to sort of include of those 500. They're all numbered. And basically you go through and you use a certain number of points in the solo game, at least to try to get information. 
you say, okay, I want to use three of my 100 points to get three cards. It'll give you a choice. Say, do you want seven cards that are worth nine points or do you want two cards worth four points or three cards worth three points? Now, is that driven by an app or do you just have a like sheet that tells you how much each thing costs? It's driven by an app. So it's very, this is app driven. Now in the multiplayer game of this, where you're kind of racing to see if you can figure this out, very similar to Clue, right? That is not driven by an app. The app will tell you how to combine the deck, but once you have the deck, so, so the beauty of this is the app tells you all the cards to put into the deck and all of those cards when taken together, and some are redundant, of course, in different ways, but they will point to exactly one suspect with exactly one weapon that originated in exactly one room. So the information you need is there. And there are multiple cards that give you related information. It's all about eliminating certain options, right? I don't necessarily know it wasn't Angelica. Maybe I know that Claudette said that she was with Greg and Greg said he's with Claudette, but Angelica said she was with Greg. And so you know that Angelica's lying at that point. Well, and that's the key to the game. I played it multiplayer. I haven't played it single player. People will lie to you. And you have to figure out who's lying to you Yes, because their information doesn't match what other people are telling you. It's like, wait a minute, they couldn't have been here and this person been here at the same time. Somebody's lying and it's got to be this person. Yeah, yeah. So it's more than just I've seen a card and that rules somebody out. You have to put these pieces of information. So you really do feel like you're solving a mystery for the solo game. You spend points to look at cards and you try to narrow it down and your points run out pretty quickly. The, the thing that takes the longest about this game is sort of getting the, you know, actually retrieving the cards from the decks as you're playing because you need all these 500 cards or whatever on hand when you're doing it. And you have to make sure you do it right, too, because one card off and it could throw everything for a loop. So this is true. But I found that you don't it's not as easy to mess up as, as I thought it would be. No, it isn't. I haven't had a game that's been messed up because of that. Yeah, and one of the things I like, and I found this was a running theme in a lot of my games as well, is I like I like the games to take me on sort of a thematic journey. And this one does, right? I mean, it really gives you that feeling of you're trying to solve a mystery and you are extracting information from the housekeeper and the cleaning staff and also the, the suspects themselves. And it's really cool. And you can have an accomplice in the game, too, that could also lie. And I, I can't imagine even getting to that. So a lot of depth in this game. <laughs> Definitely a yeah. good solo game, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, I've only played it multiplayer. So... I'd be interested in trying it solo. I know Jerry has it. So yeah, if it's as simple as downloading an app, then I'd be happy to try that. That sounds really cool. Have you played Chronicles of Crime? Oh, yes. Many time. Okay. Yeah, that's my mystery murder game that I love playing. Yeah, I love that one too. And I, I considered that one. But that one doesn't draw me in solo as much as this one does. I really like Chronicles of Crime having multiple players involved. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's more of a two player to three player game. That's how we've enjoyed it the best. Yeah. Cool. All right. So getting to my number two, and this is diving into the living card game realm. I'm sure that uh, everybody was expecting that who's a loyal listener, and that's Marvel Champions. And this is probably the game I've played most of any games on the list, even more than Oniram. Every time a new hero comes out, I just want to try that deck and not only try that deck, but try it against each of the different villains that's already out. So as we get more villains that come out and new heroes that come out, you know, it becomes more and more each time I play. So I really enjoy exploring each hero individually. A lot of times I'll just play them right out of the box before I do any deck building to them because I kind of start at the easiest villains and work my way up. And so I'll add in stuff to help my deck a little bit as I go along as I'm ramping up their difficulty as well. So I considered Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror LCG, but, um, well, Lord of the Rings, I really didn't consider that's, (laughs) that one's not in my, uh, my favorites. I, I do like it, but it was just a step too far for me. So, but Arkham living card game, I like that game, but I, I like it better multiplayer when Mike runs it for me. Cause again, I don't want to run everything in that game. I enjoy the heck out of playing through it, but I don't want to run it. Where Marvel Champions, literally, especially if I'm taking one of those pre-made decks out of the box, you know, I can get a game done in, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes and, you know, move on to the next one. I just enjoy it. Yeah, Marvel Champions, there's there's definitely an ease of play that is not necessarily shared by a lot of those other living card games. This one was this one was my honorable mention. This didn't make my list, but man, I've. I was very close. It was on my list multiple times when I was sort of hashing it out. I, I love, like I said earlier, I love the Marvel Universe. And when you play each of these characters, there are all these thematic elements that come through and how you're playing them. And that's just a, a huge draw for me. The multi-use cards that you can use them either for things on your tableau or for the resources you need to get cards out. I love the multi-use card stuff. So a lot of things about this game hit things that I love. 
I think of, of all the, the Fantasy Flight LCGs, this one is one of the better ones. And I think it is the best one, in my opinion, when it comes to solo play. Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. I totally agree with you. And for me, it, there are two things I love too. Uh, you, you mentioned one that was really good that I hadn't even thought of. I love the playing your hand out. I love the unlimited resources. You know, in things like Lord of the Rings, I think the big change from Lord of the Rings is you get in one card a turn, you get in one money a turn. It's kind of a slow burn. Here, it's a puzzle with your hand every time you play. Yeah. And I love that from games like Keyforge, which is another Fantasy Flight game, and I love it from Marvel Champions as well. So I just love that. Play out your hand because you're going to redraw it anyway. So try to make the best out of it. That's a good call. Okay, now we're getting to the nitty gritty. So we're talking... Ooh, we're getting to the top here. So this is rarefied air. And I was sort of surprised that this particular game made it so high on the list. But when I started comparing, I was like, yeah, it's just that's how much fun I have with this. And this is a game we talked about Prospero Hall earlier. This is horrified. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is also sort of pandemic like one of the big draws of this particular game is that it's a relatively cheap price point. It's like 35 bucks. And there are seven monsters in the box. These are Victorian era monsters, right? Your Draculas and Frankenstein and Frankenstein's Bride and the Invisible Man. You know, all those monsters that you can sort of play against. So I like the variety that comes in the box. There is this nice sort of resistance that's provided to you and ability to gauge how much resistance you want in the game, right? How difficult you want it to be because you can play against simply one monster, which is really, really easy, or you can play against four monsters if you want to, which is really hard, right? Yep. The fact that you're choosing from seven means there's a lot of variety. They all play very differently. Your actions are generally the same. You're moving around. You are picking up items. You're using items to fight these monsters in different ways, and you're trying to keep them from driving this terror track all the way to the top. So the gameplay is simplistic. It's easy to track what's going on. It's easy to keep track of different characters if you're playing different characters. Thematically, it's just top-notch, right? Because you have all these cool little minis for the monsters around the board, and they're just beautiful. They're not great minis in a mini sense, but it's like, that's the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, that's the Invisible Man. That's Dracula. It's just Everybody knows these classic monsters and you get to play against them in this game. I think this game is very well done. I had a great time revisiting it. I think it deserves one of the top spots, at least on my list. That's awesome. No, I'm glad it made near the top of your list too. So it's funny how for solo games, we are kind of coming back to co-op games a lot. Yeah. And Horrified was one of the best ones that's come out in the last year, year and a half. Certainly Family Weight. You know, if it came down to the game we talked about earlier, Marvel United versus Horrified, I would pick up Horrified first for sure. I think there's a lot more gameplay there. Yeah, when we were talking about Marvel United, I started to mention Horrified, but I didn't want to because I knew we were going to get into a conversation when we started going through our top five. And that's the thing that came to mind, right, is that if I'm paying 30, 35 bucks and I can get this experience or that experience, Horrified is the way to go. It's just so well done, you know, for what it is. And you can play it with small kids too. I mean, Marvel United, I don't know that it's that much simpler than Horrified. Horrified's actions are really simple. Where the complication comes in is controlling the AI. But again, as long as you have one adult there, it you know, even that isn't that complicated. Yep, I completely agree with you. So, so the actions themselves are very discreet, easy to do, easy to understand. As you said, even for younger kids, you can sort of coach them through and handle the harder elements. There's no no elements in the game that are really hard. But as you said, the controlling of the monsters and the flipping over the monster card and determining which ones move, how much, how much they attack, that's the hardest part. And that's easy for one person to control and everybody else just sort of experience the moving around and collecting items aspect of the game. Yeah, no, that's really cool. All right, so to my number one, and I was not expecting you to have a civilization game on your list, but my number one is actually a civilization game. And I looked at a bunch of them that I like. I like Nations a lot. Civ A New Dawn, they have a free print and play solo expansion available online. That one worked out really well. And I like that game a lot as well. Empires of the North, I even put on here as, you know, a little bit lighter version of a civilization game. And they have a really good solo version in that one. But the one that topped my list, and not everybody I don't think would consider this a civilization game, but I really get all the four X's out of it that I want. And that's Gaia Project. Oh, wow. Interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, this game's moved up real high on my list. And it's funny because what was the original one called? Terra Mystica? Is that what you're talking about? Right. Terra Mystica, I would not have considered a 4X game, ironically. And I think it's because just the difference between the tech tracks and the god tracks, 
really make it feel like a Civ game to me. When I'm going up those tech tracks, I really feel like I'm becoming better exploring. I'm doing more things better when I move up those tech tracks. And I really feel like they have individual themes that are really good. And the mechanics of this game are just great. And it has the one thing we've been talking about. Every civilization plays very differently. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to play differently when you're playing them. And I'll tell you, the Automa for this game is done really well and really straightforward. You know, it keeps the game moving. It keeps you engaged in your turn, which is the most important thing, while at the same time making choices that players would make. And it blocks you off really well as well. So I think it's really well done. This is an interesting choice. I got to go. I got to go check this out. I've never played this solo. I never would have thought about playing this one solo, to be honest. So the fact that you give it that it's made your number one, man, I got to go back and check this out. Yeah, no, I mean, it takes a second to learn the AI, right? But once you get it, it's super fast and super easy once you get it. You know, it's understanding the language, just like with any rule book, right? Mm -hmm. When you first read through it, it's like, what are they trying to say here? But once you get it, it doesn't take very long to get. The game sings and it flies. I've really got to check this out. That kind of thing, the barrier to entry of understanding what the Automa is doing can keep me away from a lot of solo games. There's, there's a game, uh, Barrage, that came out last year that I like a lot. I think it's a really good game. And I've played it solo and it's pretty good, but the, there's so much minutia you have to track when it comes to that Automa. So if you have a game like this that's very good and you know it sort of starts to sing once you're in sync with those Automa rules, you know that sounds intriguing to me. I got to go check this out. Yeah, no, it's really good. And speaking of Barrage, Jerry's begging me to play that. He's been begging me to play that for about a month now. So maybe we'll have to get you online to teach us how to play and uh, play some tabletop simulator together. I would be more than happy to do that because I've been jonesing to play that game. Before the, the pandemic hit, I was playing that almost constantly for two months straight. And you know, for me, given the variety of games I play, that's very unusual. All right, so we'll definitely have to get that on. We've talked about more competitive games on One Stop Co-op Shop today than we've ever talked about. That's, right. that's all right. I don't mind, man. Sorry, that's my influence. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll be honest. In the pandemic, when I'm not playing solo, we are playing a lot more competitive games than we have in a long time. I, I guess because when you're playing solo, a lot of times it is a cooperative type feel to the game. And so when we're playing stuff now, most of them have been competitive lately. Uh, there's another reason I'm glad that Guy Project made your list, because as you said, it's derivative of, and in fact, on the box, it says a Terra Mystica game, right? So it's based on Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica is one of my favorite games. And you were the first, you were one of the first people I played this game with. If I recall correctly, there was a small con that was local that we were at. And someone had this game Terra Mystica that we had heard about, but we hadn't seen a copy yet, right? We were waiting on it to hit the stores. Yeah. And we played that thing nonstop and it was great. And Gaia Project is great as well. And uh, improve some things from Terra Mystica and, and handle some things differently. Yeah, I like the fantasy theme better. And so I don't know why Gaia Project hit for me better. Again, I, the only thing I can point to is those technology tracks. It really feels like a tech tree to me there where it never did for Terra Mystica for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that's an area of improvement. Okay, so my number one, this is going to be slightly anticlimactic because you've already covered it, but my number one is actually Cthulhu Death May Die. So I think it, it deserves a even more conversation. That's why I didn't have a lot to offer right when you, when you offered up because I knew coming to my number one, it's like, man, this game is not designed to be a solo game, right? Now, of course, you can play it solo, but it's a co-op game. The, the thing this game has over a lot of other games is it, it's all easy to track, there's not much that's happening where you just kind of get lost, right? You talk yep. about BIOS Origins, which was my number five on the list. There's a lot to track in that game, right? And I'm absolutely sure when I play a solo game of that, I've screwed something up, right? At some yep. point, I messed <laughs> something up. It doesn't take away from the experience, but I, but I figure I've done it. And Cthulhu Death May Die, that would surprise me because everything is so easily tracked on the boards. It handles all the minutia for you. And not only that, but it gives you that ton of variety we were talking about earlier. You talk about all those great old ones. You talk about all the uh, scenarios, each of which plays, while not completely differently, it's significantly differently. And, and you have all the heroes that you can, you can choose from. It tells a great story when you go through. You definitely get this feeling of a, a climax, right? It's building toward a climax. When you first start, you know, you're just trying to survive a little bit. And if you do it right and you get the synergy of the characters right, near the end, you're like, you just feel like a wrecking ball going through just tearing stuff up. It always builds to a, a great crescendo. 
I love this game. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite games from years ago called The Others in that when you first start, you're rolling a few dice. And by you get by the time you get into the game, you're rolling, feels like a 50-gallon bucket full of dice. Yeah. And you're counting stuff up and saying, oh, man, and you're trying to make sure your madness doesn't kill you and at the same time do enough damage. And you're making some risk reward when it comes to rerolls. There's just so much good about this game. Uh, I love playing this game, whether it's co-op with others or or solo, which it, it plays surprisingly well, in my opinion. And you know what one of my favorite mechanics is? And it's such a simple, silly thing that like almost no other game does. Well, first of all, area movement, obviously, I I really like that. But the Mm. fact that when you're moving past somebody, you just grab everybody in that room and take them along with you. That's great. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've certainly had times where I've grabbed like 10 guys and I'm moving this giant pile of guys with me. And then some of the things that don't at first seem that useful, which is like, hey, leave somebody behind you as you're running along. You know, some of those things can become super powerful as you go along. And so it's not always about rolling a hundred dice. If you don't want to do that, there's a character that every time he leaves his space with an enemy, he deals the damage to it. And so you can grab a bunch of guys and bounce back and forth between them, just killing them doing that. So I, I do love how every character feels so different. And I, I think you're right. I, I just love tactical puzzles and it does a great job of doing that. And that's one thing we hit on our podcast is that there's a puzzle element to it that many of the other games don't have. And like you said, these these cool mechanics of you can run through and just take all those monsters with you because they're going to chase you. And then you can also manipulate your madness card so that when you we had one guy and he was basically psychotic. So he would take all these monsters with him. And then when he takes a hit, he like when he goes mad, he does one damage to everything in the room with him. Yep. And so, you know, thematically, he was running through and they were chasing him. And then he lost his mind and went berserk on these guys. and. That's just it's so thematically rich to me. And this game is filled with moments like that. And you're absolutely right. It's not all about rolling the dice. There's a tactical puzzle to be had here. And there's a theme. And this just hits on all cylinders. Well, and it's not also about getting hits all the time. Sometimes you do want to roll more dice just so you can increase your insanity. Yeah. So you can hit those key triggers sometimes. Yep, I agree. Great game. Cthulhu Death May Die. All right, Don. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been a blast. Oh, man, this was a ton of fun. Yeah, I know when I first started going through the games, I said, oh, I got to revisit all these solo games. I was like, man, this is a lot of, it took a lot of time, to be honest. I, I want to do it right. I was the same way, and that's why I delayed on you a little bit, too. Yeah. I, was, I was like, <laughs> oh, man, there's some games I just need to get to again. So uh, so sorry for pushing it back. No, but the amount of fun that I had in revisiting the games very much worth it, because it, it was just one of those things where it's like, I'd forgotten how great Black Orchestra was, how great Awkward Guest was, how great Cthulhu Death May Die was. So, yeah, after all this was done, I'm like, I got to get some of these back to the table immediately because I liked them so much. Yeah, no, it's good. And coming from two people who don't consider themselves solo gamers, we've had a lot of fun playing solo games. So I think there are solo games out there for everybody. Some people are going to like the real meaty, crunchy ones. I think just looking at our list for the most part, we like games that we can just throw down on the table and get them played and not have to fight with the rules too much. But other people really like that complexity in there. And I mean, so I do think with the dearth of games coming out, sometimes it feels like a tidal wave and it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I think the benefit of that is that there's a game for everybody out there. Yeah, I agree with you. And like I said earlier, I'm, I'm glad they're catering to the solo gamer market. It's a market I never thought I would be part of, but I really appreciate when they have good solo rules in a game. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us, Don. Anything you want to talk about before you get out of here? Any place that people can find you or talk to you directly? Yeah, so you can just uh, look us up, uh, do, do a search on Google. I wish I knew. I think it's secretball.com, but I could be wrong. So <laughs> the, the best thing you can do is just do a search. Look for the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast, part of the Dice Tower Network. And check us out if you hadn't heard of us. It's basically five or six guys talking about insubordinate nonsense for a few hours. We try to make sure it's entertaining. Jamie's sort of the head honcho of the show, and he usually says that he wants it to be the most punk rock of all the podcasts. So if you want to listen to a PG-13 version of a podcast that talks about games, some pop culture stuff, and it's just filled with a bunch of idiocy. That might be the place you look. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, I've listened to a lot of podcasts in my days and there are none of the three hour ones that have survived except for you guys. So of all the ones that I listen to, and I've got friends that do podcasts, I normally can't make it the whole time, but you guys do such a good job of breaking it up 
that it never feels like three hours, right? You know, you've got your different segments, you got the news, you got the feature game, you know, it's almost like you get in five different podcasts in one. So it's not one long podcast, but a bunch of really good individual segments of podcasts. Well, I appreciate that. We, we, we try really hard, believe it or not. We, it probably sounds like we don't try hard, but we put a lot of effort into it. So thanks for noticing. If it sounds interesting, check us out. Yeah, absolutely. I highly recommend it for, for all you guys out there. They don't focus on co-op games the way we do, but you know what? You need a break from that every once in a while, too. So uh, after you're done listening to us every week, switch over to them and uh, give them a listen. All right. Well, thanks for having me, man. And hopefully we can do it again. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to join in our discussion, join us on Discord, where you can join us live through chats or play games with us. You can also support us at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week with another top five list. Yeah, any extra stuff we can keep for the uh, outtakes afterward or whatever else. So, uh, (laughs) hopefully you screw up a lot, Don. Yeah, it won't be a problem. (laughs) Nice. It comes natural. That's the one part I won't have to try. So, I considered Lord of the Rings and Call of Cthulhu, but... Um, well, Lord of the Rings, I really didn't consider that's, <laughs> that one's not in my, uh, my favorites. I, I do like it, but it was just a step too far for me, but call of Cthulhu or I'm sorry. Is it call of Cthulhu living card game? Uh, no, we, we've, there's so many Cthulhu games out there. I'm never, I'm never sure exactly what the names is, that, but it's definitely the fantasy flight. It's Arkham. Cthulhu. Sorry. That's it. Yeah. Sorry. Not call of Cthulhu. It's Arkham living card game. And the fans will kill me for that one as well, I'm sure. Hey, Don. Yeah. I'm really enjoying playing with myself. (laughs) While I'm on the other end of the phone call. Now now I'm feverishly searching for how to stop this podcast.